There is certainly a lot of news out there, including the South Carolina primary results, but the single most important thing going on right now is at the United States Supreme Court and a lot of potential there. We're going to start there on the Corey Truax Show. open the show right there with something cute and clever to get us started and warmed up and then introduce myself but hey this is potentially the biggest story in my lifetime so we're going to talk about it right now I guess I will tell you who I am. My name is Corey Truax, securing the blessings of liberty since 1986. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and you're invited to Beachwood Church at 1030 any given Sunday morning. We meet at Greenville High School, downtown Greenville. Guys, Anthony Kennedy has decided he doesn't want to be on the same court anymore. He's going to retire, and I am not overstating it one bit to say this might be the most important story uh, it's not the most important story of my lifetime. It's definitely top 10, could be top 5, and the ramifications sort of change everything. I have a lot to say about Anthony Kennedy retiring from the Supreme Court and really even some of the decisions that came down this last week as it was the last week the court was in session, a lot of decisions came down. First, for some context, if you don't have... Uh, if you've not kept up with the goings-on or the dynamics of the Supreme Court over the last several years, then let me give you some context. There's been a, a fairly ideological... It's been a ideologically deadlocked between four and four people. So uh, the two Bush nominees, I guess that's John Roberts and Sam Alito. Of course, John Roberts got the Obamacare case all wrong, but he's been mostly solid. And then Sam Alito and then Neil Gorsuch, or previously was Antonin Scalia, in that seat. And with uh, who's and then oh yeah Clarence Thomas, and then on the other side the two Obama nominees so Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor with either Breyer or Stevens whichever one's still there and Ginsburg, that those four the first four are constitutionalists they mostly think about the Constitution the way that I do that the that the Supreme Court's job is to determine what the founders meant whatever the facts of the case are we contextualize them. We have the context of 2018, the, uh, the uh, let's go with the, the technology of the day and some of the things that are happening, but we can contextualize the intent of the founders, what the Constitution was intended to mean. The other four, they are not that. They're not originalists. They basically just go through leftist ideology. It's not elite. It is not really a legal ideology or philosophy it's about what they think is right and wrong what it not it's really about what is just not what the law says and then there's anthony kennedy there's anthony kennedy this one guy that you can't peg down for anything the guy who writes the decision in the case that creates homosexual marriage but he's also the guy who's the swing vote that in the heller case which was a major guns rights case just in the last couple years he is the swing vote for the, uh, I can't remember the name of the decision, that has corporations treated like people, like human beings, for matters of giving money to campaigns. So the right and the left have reasons to hate him, and the right and the left have reasons to love him. And Anthony Kennedy has arguably been the most significant and powerful person in Washington, D.C., in our government for quite a while now, and he is gone, and it happens, or at least he's coming up on being gone. It happens in this moment. 
where the president happens to be who he is, where the country's at this flashpoint, this tension point, and this is huge. I, I just try. It, it's hard for me to overstate what this means. We're talking about a decision replacing Anthony Kennedy if the president happens to get it right, if the people around him influence him well like they did with Gorsuch. It's 20 years of impact, at minimum. It's decades of impact. You'll get at least 20 years, if not 30 years of... I mean, we start thinking through the potential ramifications. I know some of your minds immediately go to abortion. Could someone pass a sanctity of life amendment to their state constitution, go to the Supreme Court, and defend their law successfully? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe send abortion to the states, at the least. Could you reestablish what the Ninth and Tenth Amendments actually mean? That the federal government is doing a lot of things it does not have the authority to do, that it was not empowered to do, that the Tenth Amendment, the way it was written, what it says, is those powers not given to the federal government expressly, they go to the states or to the people. But you don't get them, federal government, and you're doing way more things than you're supposed to. Could we restore some order in that? Yeah, maybe. There's certainly some possibility there. There's not been a conservative, and I hate to, it's not even really about conservatism, an originalist. There's not been a religi- an originalist majority on the Supreme Court, and not in my lifetime, I don't think in my grandparents' lifetime. It's not, it's not a thing that's happened. The Supreme Court has been the most left-wing part of the government, the left, most left-wing branch of government we've had, and there is an idea here where that could change, where you actually could get a justice to change the balance of power for a generation. And while I don't have confidence in this president, I can't argue that they got the first one right. I mean, the, the jury might still be out on Neil Gorsuch. It could go wrong. But this first term, Neil Gorsuch has been awesome. For for those of you, let me listen up for those of you who actually voted for the President of the United States specifically regarding judicial things. I think I would put my big brother in this category. Fully aware of who the President is, fully aware of his character, but seeing the significance of the judiciary goes and votes for Donald Trump. You guys are getting your ROI. Now, for those of you that voted for him for other reasons, I don't I don't know what you did, but if your thing was, man, I sure don't like this guy. He sure is a bad example. He sure does hurt the culture. But the courts are just so significant, I've got to go do it. I've got to go cast this vote. You are getting return on investment. Just take that last case they announced. The, the, the greatly weakened, if not destroyed, the idea of a government union for workers. Well, of course you should not be able to do that. Of course there should be no such thing as a union of government workers. You are the government. You're being paid by the taxpayer. Of course you shouldn't have a union. That should, that should not be a thing that exists. And there was, there was lots of there were lots of good things coming out of it, of this of this session. And Gorsuch was on the right side of them all. And so maybe the president gets this right and changes everything. And then here's where that's it gets uncomfortable for me. If he happens to get this right, and he was able to replace Antonin Scalia, and Gorsuch ends up being who we think who he is. And then he replaces that swing vote, Anthony Kennedy, with someone who is rock-ribbed around interpreting the Constitution by the standards set up by the founders, the notes on the convention from Madison, using the Federalist Papers for clarification, all of these ideas. 
he might be the most significant president in the last hundred years. He probably would be. With no, for, you don't even need a foreign policy achievement. If your if your number one domestic policy achievement was that tax cut, and your number one foreign policy achievement was you happened to talk to the little Kim guy, not get anything done, nothing signed, but just talk to the Kim guy. You have these two Supreme Court justices and change the balance of the court in that way. For better or worse, he he might be the most significant political figure, at least at least the most significant president in a very, in a very long time. And so while there's a, certainly a divergent emotions on these things. If you're on the left today, I can't imagine the emotion that comes along with knowing that this could be the case. Could this the Supreme Court's been bailing out the left for a long time and has has been the primary method of leftist policy. It's not been Congress, it's not been presidents that have mostly done a lot of leftist things. It's been the Supreme Court and the idea of not having that I'm sure it's bothersome and it's troubling. And I'm not the personality that dances on the grave or that celebrates when someone else doesn't feel good. I know some of you are. You love it when a liberal's upset. Yeah, I'm just not going to be that way because I'm an adult, mature, and human. And think about other people like they are humans, not enemies to defeat. But the I don't know if you can tell it in me. I can feel it in my chest as I talk about it. There is a a level of excitement that I don't have around politics. Like, I'm thrilled about this. I am filled with hope that this could be the most significant thing that's happened in politics for the good. There's a possibility of very good things happening here. And it could go also off the rails. He could get it wrong. But I am prayerfully hopeful that this goes right and it is significant for a long, long time. Now, one more thought. This also has to do with Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell did a hard thing. I don't know if it was the right thing in making sure Merrick Garland, Barack Obama's replacement for uh, the last justice that went off, uh, I guess that was Scalia, um, keeping him from getting a vote. And then it was Mitch McConnell who helped guide through Neil Gorsuch. It also is in the rules now that a Supreme Court justice can't be filibustered, so all you need is 51 votes. Yes, the president needs to put up the right person. But from there, I'm looking at you, Susan Collins, in Maine. I'm looking at you, Lindsey Graham, in South Carolina. You're going to need all 51 of those votes. Jeff Flake, out in Arizona. You know, I've got a lot of respect for Jeff Flake and how he's handled himself during this administration. He has been brave. He's been bold to speak up against bad things, bad rhetoric, bad actions when they've taken place. But he's now got such a personal antipathy towards the president that I could see him messing this up. This is a... All the words I'm about to say are denotative. This is not connotative. I'm not... I'm not putting any flat, any flowery language on this. I'm not trying to dress it up. I'm about to say these words, and I mean the definitions. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. We are not getting this again. If you are hopeful to restore some kind of constitutional government and put put a judge on the Supreme Court who thinks about the Constitution in a way that could help restore that constitutional republic, we're not getting this chance again. And so the pre- I, I am prayerful 
that the right people get around this president. And it is this time that his ideology, or at least his worldview, is advantageous. Because as I've explained before, I think I understand the president really well. His his ideology is win is winners and losers and friends and enemies. So the people who have been his friends, who have been friendly to him, he's going to listen to them now. And if they explain, you you become a winner. You become you have a legacy. You have something that you're remembered for for a long time. If his friends say it and it can be sold as a win, he'll do it. He may not believe a word of it. It's not significant to him. It's not important to him, but he will do it if it comes from his friends and it's explained as a win. But after that's done, the Senate, a lot could go wrong. We're in election year. A lot of people get scared that time of year. There's a fight coming. Prepare yourself for it. it but this is a fight that's worth having because this could change things for a long time. We got South Carolina primary results. We got a lot we got to do today. So stick with us for the rest of the Corey Truax show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to the show, and if you would share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, look for me. You will find me there. There is only one Corey Truax because my name is weird. It's uh, quite the advantage in the broadcasting world. Uh, it's a weird name, but also no one can pronounce it correctly. I could talk about Anthony Kennedy in this vacancy for the rest of this show. I know I could because I am juiced and jacked up and excited about it, but we got to move on. Uh, of course, on Tuesday, the South Carolina primaries took place or at least the runoffs, and I have some takeaways from that. I'm sure you already know the facts of the case. Henry McMaster, you know, as much as I I wanted John Warren to win, it's selfish as a broadcaster, as a broadcaster that I can now have at least probably four years of doing the Henry McMaster voice. There are others on these airwaves in the upstate of South Carolina, this sovereign state, who do this impression. I do declare to you, I say boo hiss to those other impressions. Mine is superior. For Henry McMaster of South Carolina, he of course took the uh, he took the governor's race by a big margin. And uh, Warren, John Warren, way overachieved. He may have lost by a big margin, but three months ago, none of us have heard of him before. And then he won the runoff. He beat out Templeton. He beat out the sitting lieutenant governor, a guy who's never run for anything, thirty nine years old. I mean, this this guy is awesome. I hope John Warren runs against Lindsey Graham in a couple of years. John Warren way overachieved, and he was he should be proud. You know, I hope he knows he did well. I hope there's people around him to let him to say that to him. There's no shame in this one. In a state that loves incumbency and rewards incumbency, you did incredibly well. Well, one takeaway I had there. You know what? Actually, two two from the governor's race. One, I went to the scvotes.org, scvotes.org. You can go see the maps if you want to. Eventually, the precinct information will be available. You can see who voted where and what precinct. But John Warren demolished Henry McMaster in the upstate counties. He won about 71% of the vote. Warren did in Greenville County. It was about 60% in both Pickens and Spartanburg County. He won Anderson County, I think 61%. So it was 70 and 60% blowouts in the upstate. Of course, John Warren is from the upstate of South Carolina, went to Eastside High School in Taylor's. He's an upstate guy, so it, it makes sense to me that he would do it. And then he went and got a lieutenant governor's candidate down in the low country, I think, trying to, to penetrate that market a little bit and get some low country votes. It just wasn't enough. Henry McMaster won across the state except for up here in the upstate where John Warren really did himself well. So, And I hope he noticed that. 
you know, if this thing doesn't, I'm, we'll talk about the fourth congressional here in a minute with William Timmons. Of course, I'd love to see Josh Kimbrell run for that race again and win it, but if he didn't have any interest, John Warren should realize just how popular he is in the upstate of South Carolina. If that's not Congress, then take a shot at Senate. I mean, I'm sure the guy doesn't want to do government for that long, but if he wants to serve a state, there's all kinds of other opportunity there outside the governor's race. So one was the upstate of South Carolina certainly is its own pocket of voters. You know, the old there's an old uh, South Carolina politics joke that is when you're campaigning in South Carolina statewide, when you're in the upstate, voters ask you where you go to church. Where you're in, when you're in the Midlands, voters ask you what kind of business you're in. And when you're in the low country, they ask you what you'll have to drink or what's your drink. And that's a very funny but true breakdown culturally of the political class in each place. And so John Warren fits right right he he fits in right in in the upstate and he could uh, be a player up here for a while. So that was a one. Number two, you know, the President of the United States came and campaigned for Henry, Henry McMaster at Airport High School at, down in Columbia. And uh, it, it's interesting to me because Donald Trump is re- very popular in the upstate. When you look back at the 2016 primary map, he did better in the upstate than he did, did other places. And at some level, I am encouraged by this outcome because it makes me think that the amount of people who are straight-up Trump cult is fewer than I thought. Because what those maps tell me, the fact that John Warren did unbelievably well in the upstate, but Trump did better in the upstate during his primary than he did in the other parts of the state, is this. the There are people out there that can hear Donald Trump say, hey, vote for Henry McMaster, and they go, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to vote for John Warren. He better reflects what I like. And that's an encouragement to me because the loyalty that this president has engendered has been, really has been disturbing. It's been Obama-level type loyalty where people just think whatever he wants, he, they think whatever he says, and it's, it's been very discouraging that there's been a lack of discernment uh, and where I, can, where I can see that someone says, yeah, I like the president, but I think he's wrong on this. That's progress. That's a good thing. And I think we saw that in the upstate of South Carolina, and we should be encouraged by it. There's to me those there should be some kind of cognitive dissonance that I don't think is taking place that should. If you are somebody who is you know super rah rah Trump like you're not the let me say it this way there is always been a difference to me in the Trump supporter and the Trump voter. The Trump voter I understand you had bad you had bad choices and you went out and voted unhappily for one of the bad choices. And then there are Trump supporters who really adore the guy and can find no wrong in him. For the Trump supporter, for that category, to be able to have voted for John Warren, and that's a chunk of people up here in the upstate, I I would be curious to talk to one of those people who are John Warren voters but are hardcore Trump supporters. Like, they really like him. Like, how did you do both? How How are you holding both positions at the same time? It should be very hard to do. So that is the governor's race. I'll vote for Henry McMaster. Because he's been part of the establishment, I'm just getting tired of that term too, the establishment part of the Republican Party for so long, because he's been in government for so long, his whole career, his adult life has been in government, he's run for a whole lot of stuff. He, he gets, I think, maybe a raw deal. I, I don't know how much conservative stuff he actually believes, but guys, he's done a lot of conservative things. Back in the Reagan administration, some of the things he's been involved with in the legal system are stuff that we would all love. 
he's got some some things wrong on taxes. He does. I think he's wrong on taxes. I, I think he's. I, I think we're going to have to fight him on some things. But McMaster's a seems to be an honorable guy that's lived a decent life. He's fine. I don't think he'll be an excellent governor. He's not a governor. He's not going to be a transformational governor that really rethinks how we do state government. But he's fine. He'll do well enough, and I'll be glad to vote for him in November uh, without any kind of reservation on that. And then we get to the 4th Congressional District. Up here in Greenville-Spartanburg, almost a million people live in Greenville-Spartanburg, South Carolina. And there is a voter turnout number of something like, it was fewer than 30,000 people. I mean, it's a low number of people. I had a, I had a, a Facebook comment from a guy named Robbie who voted in that district who said, a smart thing. He said, well, you can't be too discouraged with the number because there's just a lot of people who don't think of themselves as Republicans or Democrats. So they're not going to vote in either primary. You know what? Good point. Good point. There's a lot of disaffected people who are neither one. And so they're not going to show up. There is certainly, though, that just general apathy. People that just don't care. It's probably something that has to get addressed if you're going to have a truly functional republic going forward. But the big takeaway there is I, I didn't... Of that 13-person race, 13 candidates, and these are the two we got left with? I'm trying to think of two worse ones. I guess if it would have been Epley and Timmons, that would have been just as bad or maybe worse. But ultimately, Timmons runs away with it. It's not even all that close. It's one of those races where I was was glad to see the, the bright brand of politics lose. I think I said this on the show recently, that if Lee Bright and I got in a room together for four or five hours, I bet we would not find a lot of places where we disagree. But we would not like each other. Because we come from very different tactical standpoints. And I think his his tactics are often not just ineffectual, but but probably not the right thing to do. Not not, not to be so... Com- it's probably not good to be so combative. To be such a... To, to always be looking for a fight. And then Timmons, I think, is going to vote conservatively most of the time because he'll he lives in a conservative place. I, I mean, ostensibly, uh, and so wants to keep his job. And so it was one of those where I, I sure am glad to know that Greenville Spartanburg didn't go for the firebrand type of politics, and the and politics is war, and we have to destroy the other side. I'm glad it went that, it didn't go that way. And then you look at the opposite the opposition and go, oh god, wish it wouldn't have went that way either. It was it was a race I wasn't a fan of. I, I don't even know if I would have voted if I lived in that district. So there there is that takeaway. It did reject firebrand politics, but it also embraced a type of politics that people say they don't like. Uh, and in a in a really big margin, Timmons kind of ran away with that race. Then the only other race in the primaries I wanted to get to was my local race. Uh, in these local South Carolina races these house races, we're talking fewer than 5,000 people vote. Uh, But congratulations to my house rep, Neil Collins, who faced off with two people who just lied about him. It's Some of these local races are the hardest ones because there is no media to be the arbiter. There's no one trying to play referee on the facts. It's just just really despicable people sometimes just saying despicable things and no one to call it out. Uh, But hung on to win really fairly easily, won by about 800 votes in a in a race with fewer than 5,000 votes in it. And that's a good thing uh, for, again, civility. For As a young man, when I was younger, ideology was the only thing. 
did not matter. Nothing else mattered about, uh, I think, maybe there was some line on char- on character. I hope I would have been that way. But what you believed was all that mattered. And we've, I think we've skipped some steps over the last few years where we stopped caring about character, humanity, civility, statesmanship, diplomacy, not in a foreign way, but just among people. And that Neil Collins win encourages me because the county I live in, Pickens County in South Carolina, is the most Republican county in the one of the most Republican states in the country. And in that county, at least for the people that showed up to vote, at least for that subset of people that live here, they did they did look at incivility. They looked it in the face and did not want it. They don't, even if they might have even agreed more with the ideas, and I don't know if that's true either, but I I suspect it was the tactics that were ineffectual because the tactics of those races were really, really bad, too. Okay, so those are the South Carolina primary results. We're in South Carolina, so the idea that some Democrat's going to come along and beat Henry McMaster is basically absurd. I know Democrats think James Smith can, uh, because it's going to be the blue wave in November, he could, he could have some chance at challenging McMaster. I don't think so. I think McMaster will beat him by 7, 8, 9, 10 points, something like that. Uh, and there will be somebody to challenge William Timmons in the 4th Congressional District. That person to stop trying right now because it's just not its not going to happen. Okay, um, so a couple words on also this week's Supreme Court rulings. The uh, Muslim ban thing. It was never a Muslim ban, but I want to talk about that case. 5-4, to four, the Supreme Court of the United States said the president's travel ban was constitutional. And of I don't think it was a good idea. I thought the travel ban was a terrible idea. It was a it was bad policy. But we have to be intellectually mature enough to say, I don't like that policy, but it's constitutional. Yeah, he's allowed to do it. It was a very specious argument against it. The argument against it was you can't single out a religion. And I would agree with that because I'm a purist on the First Amendment to, to protect religious people. Even Muslims, because we want to protect the idea of freedom of religion, not just freedom for Christians, but freedom of all religions. And so the argument against it was, this is a a ban on predominantly Muslim countries. Well, the ban included North Korea, so no, that's not a predominantly Muslim country. And second, if it were a Muslim ban, that's a really bad Muslim ban. You didn't even include Indonesia? Like You didn't include giant Muslim countries, predominantly Muslim countries? So it was, I thought, bad policy... But he's allowed to do it, right? This is, I don't know why it's gotten so hard for the American people to do this, but I'm going to run a tangent real quick. It's hard for people to have nuance in their brain anymore where you can, where you can think not divergent things, they aren't contradictory things, but they acknowledge that things are difficult, that you, that you can pick out small pieces of policy, and think differently about them because they are fundamentally different. So let's we'll take that Muslim ban, or the travel ban for a minute. I think it's bad policy, but that doesn't mean I think it's unconstitutional. And then, moreover, you, you had folks on my spiritual side, Christians, talking about it sometimes as some kind of holy war. Well, of course, you got to keep them Muslims out. All right, well, so then the other part of Christianity, so I can, I can do all of these three things at the same time. Listen closely hey, that's a bad idea. It's not good policy to ban travel from those places. It's not going to help anything. Number two, but it is constitutional. And when number three, those people who should not come here maybe, 
are still humans that I care about. This is happening down the border. We're going to talk about this in a minute. There is, I mean, I, I saw a despicable post on a self-proclaiming Christian whose fruit is not showing it on Facebook that said, or excuse me, it was a Time Magazine cover that showed that girl who was that little girl who was crying. Yeah, we, so we all know now Time Magazine didn't fabricate that picture, but did use it out of context and make it mean something it didn't mean. And someone had pasted Hulk Hogan, the old wrestler, like leg dropping this little girl, and it was a celebration, as in the attitude was, you people stay out of here. It's our country. We don't even like you people. So watch this. This is something the, the American people don't do well. The American brain is bad at this. I can hold all of these positions at the same time, and none of them contradict each other. Here we go. If you come across the border illegally, you should be arrested. Part two. The consequence of that might include having to be separated from your children for some amount of time. I would hope we could find a way around that, but it might be one of the consequences of coming across the border illegally. While you're in custody, we should take good care of you and treat you like a human. And the people from Guatemala and Ecuador or Mexico that often try aren't often bad people. They're often panicked people. They're often poor people. They're often oppressed people. And just because they're poor, oppressed, and bad things have happened to them, that doesn't necessarily mean that America should have to let them in. All of those things can be held at the same time. But it seems like no one is able to do that. It seems like these are the only other only other opinions I hear. You round them all up and you send them all back and I can't believe these people would ever do it and there's no compassion for them whatsoever. And however you treat them is okay. Absolutely separate the families. Hey, here's a picture of Hulk Hogan leg dropping a small girl because these people are terrible. And then there's well, there's no way to even incarcerate somebody or to hold in detention someone who came into the country illegally. You should just let them all out. Okay, so we got to do better. We've got to be clearer thinkers where you don't, it's just also extreme, I guess. I think there's a thing in the American mind, maybe it's just the human brain, where we start to internalize our opinions in a way that's unhelpful. By internalize, I mean we start to identify ourselves by the things we think. And so when anything feels like it might be challenging the way we think, we panic. We, we think that could be a challenge to our actual identity. And so we go into these very extreme opinions and very extreme positions as some kind of wow, some kind of self-protective mode, something like that maybe. Uh, but that all came back to the Supreme Court ruling. The, the Supreme Court says that the President of the United States has the power to do what the President did in that travel ban, and that was a good thing. Uh, there was also the very good decision on... Uh, the unions that I, I already mentioned, there was some a, a decent religious liberty finding. We're still going to have to deal with that one. Uh, but it was a good year in the Supreme Court overall, uh, and even on some gerrymandering things. And so uh, the Gorsuch thing is paying off. I, I kind of wanted to bring that back to the the Trump voter who went for the judges. You, you, did, you did just get Justice Gorsuch's first full set of decisions and at least for now, it seems like you got a good return on your investment. Uh, a couple other items. Man, there's some, quite a few other items I wanted to get to, uh, but one here before we get to the break. There is some insanity going on in conservative media uh, with some folks who 
I generally, I, I, I respect. I respect George Will. I respect Jeff Flake. Uh, I think they have gone too far, and I want to just correct them really quickly. The the Trump thing, I think, is I, this. This is how I was going to connect it. I knew there was a segue in here. The segue was it's. It feels like everyone can't hold nuanced positions. Everything has to be broad brush and extreme, and we got to train our brains to do this. George Will and Jeff Flake have seemingly lost that ability to have nuanced positions. Everything has to be broad brush and extreme. Where the Trump thing has made them so crazy, George Will is now saying, go vote for Democrats in the midterm election. So no, that's a terrible idea, but you, George Will has been unable to pick out the other detail that, yeah, there's some bad things about the president, but that doesn't mean go vote for Democrats. No, don't, don't do that. Jeff Flake is now saying, until we get an immigration deal, we need to hold up judges. So that's insane. That's not how legislation works. But they've not been able to nuance these positions. I have a couple more thoughts on that. Some other news we want to get to. Maybe some talk on terrorists. We'll do that when we come back on the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us for this final segment. And also in a moment, we will return the triumphant return of the sports segment here on the Corey Truax Show. So... I was just talking about George Will and Jeff Flake and how the American mind is really bad at holding nuanced positions. It doesn't do that well. And so you know, George Will, because he is very upset at the President of the United States, is now out there saying, well, there's really only one way to punish Trump properly. you got to go vote for Democrats in the midterm elections. And Jeff Flake is, because the President's been this way, uh, and we have not got an immigration deal, deal I want to hold up all judicial nominees until we've done the immigration thing. And so that's not allowing yourself to have nuanced thinking. So here's the proper thinking on that for, for a George Will. Yeah, the president's done some bad things. He's a bad person. He's done so The policy has been decent. I mean, I'd, I'm moving that policy up to probably a B- minus at this point. I mean, it's getting, it's getting better even. And so when he does a bad thing, you just say it. You just say, hey, that's a bad thing. I don't endorse that. I'm going to try to correct that. I, I don't want to be associated with it. And there's a good thing. You just say, oh, well, that's a good thing. I sure do like that unemployment's really low. Hey, yeah, but the tax cut's great. Hey, this Gorsuch thing kind of worked out. And you hold both positions at the same time. Watch. I just did. I, I think the president is a bad person who is culturally, a, he hurts our culture in our discourse every bit, as much, every bit as much as Kim Kardashian does. But, hey, we got Gorsuch and a tax cut and some other good things. Like, the economy's going well. So I can do both at the same time. It just takes some intellectual depth. Take some intellectual depth and do it. For Jeff Flake, yeah, I also wish the president wouldn't say that a judge, just because the judge is of Hispanic descent, can't judge him fairly. Yeah, I, wish, I think that's despicable. Yeah, I, I wish the president wouldn't say uh, that protesters in Char- Charlottesville, who are obviously white supremacists, you know, that there were bad people on both sides. Yeah, I also wish that. Uh, but also the judges getting through are good if they're good judges. So why, wait, why would you hold up the one for the other? It's because you decided that the, the, the greatest of the evils is the president and, you, and an inability to separate the issues from the personalities and, sep- and separate the issues from one another. And it's just part of the broken brain of the United States. And so let's just not be those people. Slow down and think. Don't feel. Slow down and be thinkers. I noticed that 
that situation, the, the lack of thought here as well with this red hen situation. Apparently last weekend, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the president's press secretary, was asked to leave a restaurant because she works for the president. And the, the hypocrisy on really all sides, I think, just goes to that broken American mind where folks just don't think clearly. They, they have their tribes and loyalties and their emotions, but they're not really thinking clearly. So, for example, with, with her, you know, the left seemed like their attitude was good. It serves your right for what you do. And even Maxine Waters is then out saying, if you see a member of the Trump administration out there, you at a gas station or a restaurant or something, you get together a group of people, you push back on them, you let them know how upset you are. Like, this is, these are not good tactics. These are jackbooted tactics. They they went out, went out to um the Secretary of Homeland Security. She's trying to have dinner somewhere and they protest when she's at dinner. This is not a healthy thing. Right, so you take all you take all of that, and these are also the people. So Red Hen, they celebrate Red Hen. It's good to treat these people this way. These are also the folks utterly offended that a Christian would say to a gay couple, "Yeah, you can buy anything in here. I'll make you some cupcakes." Oh, your wedding? No, I don't want to do that. I can't be involved in that. It's against my skip my against my morals. And ultimately, for the Red Hen, what is their argument? The argument from the owner is, and I've, I I remember seeing her quote. It was something like. We're at that time in American history where you have to make hard decisions regarding upholding your morals and your ethics. Well, yeah, I guess we are. And that's what the Christians who denied to do the gay, gay wedding cake were saying the same thing. And I actually agree with both sides. I think I am for the Christian being able to say, hey, I don't want to do that cake. I am also for the Red Hen saying, you know, you, you folks have just been so divisive. You folks have been so damaging. I don't want you in here. Okay, cool. I'm I'm for everybody's freedom, just for everybody at all. But it was one the left was saying what the red hen did. Not all the left, by the way. That's not fair. I actually know some liberals who were really upset with the red hen. That 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 thought this was a really dark moment in leftism that this restaurant did that. And so when I say the left, I don't want to bright I don't want to paint too broad a brush there. That's not fair. But for those who were holding both positions at the same time, that's just a sign of a broken brain. And we, we've got to be better than that. We have to be deeper thinkers than that. But I would even ch- uh, challenge folks who are offended by the Red Hen. Just be really honest with yourself right now. Try really hard to be honest. If a business owner would have said to Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, we don't want you here. Our people, our workers are not comfortable around you. We think you've been doing so much damage it's just not an environment we want to have in our establishment. We don't want you here. Would you be upset by it? Because that's where I'd call on your hypocrisy. If someone would have said to Barack Obama, to Joe Biden, to Hillary Clinton, to, to Bernie Sanders, you're not welcome here. We don't want you here. And if you would have cheered at that and been upset at the Red Hen place in Virginia that kicked out Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you also have a broken brain. And this is where we have to just get better. We've got to find a way to be deeper thinkers, more mature people. It doesn't matter ultimately who is on that Supreme Court or who the judges are, who the Congress people are. If we as a people are broken, everything's broken. We've got to fix how we think. I would add the president did not do, did not do us a favor. He tweeted about the Red Hen, about how dirty its awning or something was. You know, I just and I wanted to get on a jo- get on uh, 
get on Twitter and just joke that, you know, these are the kind of things he's going to have in his presidential library or museum, right? The moment that he, the president of the United States, the head of the executive branch, the most powerful country in the world, tweeted to an independent restaurant in Alexandria, or some, not Alexandria, but someplace in Virginia, that its awning was dirty. That's what he spent his time on. See, that makes us all dumber, too. That hurts the discourse, too, and we got to be better than that. I hate looking at my prep sheet knowing I have, like, time for one more, and I have, like, four things I want to choose from. We are going to choose this one, tariffs. So you might have saw this week Harley-Davidson decided to go make Harleys, some of their Harleys, in a different place because there was a retaliatory tariff. So the president is now in trade war with some of our allies, and Canada, European Union, and now they're responding with certain types of tariffs, one of them heavily affecting Harley-Davidson, and so they're going to be switching some of their work to another place to avoid that tariff. So just a quick word on tariffs. Now, the, whole, the conservative position for forever has been tariffs are bad. They are not a good economic thing because, again, tariffs end up, they're just a tax. It's just raising taxes is all, it, is all that does. Raising taxes on one group to help pay for another group. Uh, if you are trying to use tariffs as a as a punishment on, on another country, if it's a diplomatic strategy, maybe I could find something there. Uh, but just as a matter of economic impact and economic policy, it is not good. All right, so it's been a heavily political show. I'd love to get into some of the uh, worries surrounding the Southern Baptist Convention and some of the things that are popping up there in next week's show. Get back to some theology. Uh, so that's the end of the serious stuff for the week. Let's go ahead and move on to sports. this time in the show, we're going to talk about sports with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. We have not been able to say our piece yet on where the one and only LeBron James might be spending the next uh, few years of his career. So right. as uh, the finals are over, and maybe we'll talk about the finals some, what's your instinct? Where do you want him to go? Well, there, there are a lot of good options for him to pick, but the last two times he's done this, he's gone somewhere people didn't expect him to, to go. Nobody expected him to leave Cleveland the first time go to Miami. Nobody expected him to leave Miami and go back to Cleveland. I know uh, I didn't. No, I didn't either. But I'll be honest with you. It looks like I, I'm picking the Lakers, to be honest. the So that's also my probability pick. Right. Is the least probability staying in Cleveland? Is it he's going to play for somebody else, or do you think there's any chance? I think there's zero chance he stays in Cleveland. Me too. Just to be honest. Uh, you know, and I don't understand the, the philosophy of going to the Western Conference either, being him. Um, because you're going to have to play Houston. You're going to have to play the Warriors like, all season long, not just see them in the, in the finals. Yeah, LeBron has uh, benefited greatly from being in a very bad Eastern Conference. That's right. There's a reason he's gone seven or eight finals in a row. The East is terrible. Well, the Sixers are, are coming along. The Celtics are coming along. I mean, you always have Toronto, you know, which seems to just choke in the playoffs. But there are younger teams that are coming up, so the East looks like it's getting better. But he could still be the quote-unquote king of the East if he stayed there, even if he went to somewhere like Philadelphia. Um, if I said, my, my next thought was going to be, yep. I, you and I are on the same page on probability yep. as L.A. Where do I want him? The Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Good to play with Ben Simmons, too. Oh. I mean, that'd be a fantastic and setup, I think, for him. And defensively. Right. Man, Ben Simmons is incredible. Joel Embiid is incredible. Yep. This is where, like, the, the talk about getting him with Paul George. Paul George is the kind of guy I think LeBron like Bron doesn't like because Paul George doesn't play defense. Right. He just, he refuses. Right. But the <laughs> the Lakers can afford three max, I think, three max contracts. Yep. So if it's one with LeBron, you can go get, 
I say get Paul George and maybe Chris Paul, who's a free agent. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about the Lakers. They have the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd get rid of Ball. He's no value to the team. 100%. He's all baggage. And when they drafted him, he wasn't that good anyways. I don't, I don't, I didn't get that anyways. So I'd get rid of him. Uh, they have the cap space to do it. They have the roster to do it. They can move some pieces around, and they could be loaded. They could. Kawhi um, Leonard is sitting out there, too. He would need to be traded. Right. But it does seem that there's just poison there with him and Popovich. He's just done. It seems like it. But, I mean, he's still under contract with the Spurs. So, if Pop doesn't want, want him moved, he's not going anywhere. Nah. Now, he may not play. Yep. But he's still part of the, the Spurs. I was getting some of that talk on finding a way to get Kawhi, George, and LeBron all on the same team. Right. They technically all play the same position. They right. play the three, small yep. forward. Uh, as LeBron gets older, you think he's going to have to transition down into the forward to start playing power forward with that big body of his? He may, but I, I think his body would deteriorate faster than maybe his shot would. So I don't think he'd want to bang as much as yeah. the older it gets. So I think he's going to rely on his fadeaway and maybe he, – he has vastly improved on the three-point line. Sure has, just, I mean, let's just be honest. He really worked hard on his shot. So I give him credit for that. First five years of his career, if the shot didn't go up in the paint, it wasn't going in. That's right. He just get to the rim <laughs> on everybody. And now he's a danger. Here's the thing about LeBron, whether you like him, you're a fan of him, you hate him, you know, whatever. You have to respect his longevity. You have to respect the, his work he's put in. Um, it, this last year was probably his best year in the league, and he's, what, 37? How old is he, 36? He's your age. He's my age, so yeah. I'm going to say 37. I could be wrong, but Something like he's that. close to that because yeah. we were in high school at the same time. But, I mean, it's just incredible. And I'm not a LeBron, quote-unquote, fan, um, but I do respect how good he is and what he does and – Listen, without LeBron, you, Cleveland's getting a championship. Let's be real. No, no, just objectively, you don't have to That's have right. any aff- affection for. Yeah, anybody. I have no affinity towards him, but no. I have no hate towards him either. Yeah, just objectively looking at the league. Now, yeah, did I think when he left Cleveland for Miami was a boneheaded way to do that and press? Con- yeah, that was garbage to me. But you know, it doesn't make me hate the guy. Circling back around to Los Angeles, it does appear that he has some kind of plan to get into some kind of Dwayne Johnson-esque like he wants to act I think yeah I think he wants to be in movies and if if you're gonna do that you go to LA well that's true and his Sprite commercials are hilarious yeah and he was in apparently a movie with that really <laughs> nasty woman uh who's the comedian who does gross jokes Amy something Schumer thank you yeah yeah he was in he had like a cameo or something in that yeah I saw the previews for that I, from my understanding was he was pretty funny in that I heard that too right and so if that is his next thing I think he wants to go to L.A. Kevin Durant said one of the reasons he wanted to go to Oakland was not just playing with those guys, but what that market brings right. being in the Bay versus Oklahoma yeah, City. Yeah, you, you have a much more exposure in L.A. and Oakland than you do in Cleveland and wherever. So speaking of Kevin Durant, I want to go to the Warriors in the finals here yep. in just a second. Last thing on LeBron James. So we're both on the same page that the likelihood is the Lakers. I think we both want to see him in Philadelphia – and we both think there's no chance he's staying in Cleveland. Yeah, all three points are checked off. 10-4. No chance for Cleveland. No, I don't Should think Should so. go to Philadelphia. We'll go to L.A. That's it. And we'll <laughs> check back here in a month. He'll, he'll announce within a month yeah, or so. Yeah, it's got to be soon. Check man. back in. Um, I, maybe I'm not supposed to care or whatever. I think Steph Curry was robbed of the NBA Finals MVP. I think that it could have gone to either one, and I think Kevin Durant tried to give it to Steph. Really? It, not, not literally handed okay. to him, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind Kevin Durant winning it, but I would not have minded Steph Curry winning it either. 
I think they're so good that you could have picked either one. I, I really do. Yeah, Durant's case was strong. It was. But to me. I, now, I did I did think Steph was going to get it. Me too. And they announced Kevin, and I was like, well, he deserved it too, so what do you do? One, one little side, side thought on that. I was in Dallas during game four. Right. And so I got to go to bed at a decent hour. <laughs> it was in the central time <laughs> yeah. zone. Yeah, you're in central then. And so you were staying up late to watch it. Well, it's not I late was. for you. But, um, so, because to me, Kevin Durant was obviously the best player on his team in game three. Right. But Steph broke a, th- broke a three-point record in yeah. game two. Um, when it was getting close in game one, the fourth quarter leader was Steph Curry. It was. I'm telling you, there you can make very strong arguments for either guy winning it. Now, I thought Steph was going to win it just because Durant had won it the previous year. I didn't think they'd give it to him two years in a row. Um, but I don't have a problem with him winning it two years in a row. And you know who doesn't care, it seems like? Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know who doesn't care? The whole Warriors organization. Yeah. They just don't seem to care. They're so healthy. They're a healthy they group. They are. You know, Ronald Reagan has this quote that there's no limit on how far an organization can go if no one cares who gets the credit. Right. The Warriors are just a walking example of that. And it's like Steve Kerr doesn't give a rip if you give him credit for them being a dynasty or not. He doesn't care. No. Steph Curry doesn't care who wins the MVP. Durant doesn't care. You know Draymond doesn't care. No. Clay doesn't care. He just wants to shoot and play defense. Yep. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it, really. Not yeah. even the Bulls of the 90s. They're in every other scenario where this much talent is in the same place with mm-hmm. different personalities, different, That's right. different owners. You lose one of those guys two years ago. Right. Clay leaves, somebody leaves. Somebody leaves to be the man on another team. Yep. And even with the 90s Bulls, it was clearly Jordan's team and all yep. the other guys were there for the ride. Yeah. This is a, It's been fun to watch. I'm, I'm glad they won another finals. Yep. You do wonder if – I, mean, I don't know when they're going to run out of gas uh, – Kevin Durant and Steph together. Will they run out of gas? I mean, they're for the most part, except maybe Iguodala, mm-hmm. they're all in the prime of their career. And th- to me, they're already the odds-on favorite to win it next They year. have to be. If Iguodala goes, I feel like the um, you know Nick Young had some great minutes. Yeah. There were some, there's some great – Sean there's Livingston. Some of those young dudes they have are awesome. Yeah. I love them. Uh, they've, they're doing – they're like the NFL's Clemson or Alabama, right? They just continue yeah. – you know, the NBA's Clemson or Alabama. They just right. keep rolling talent through. All right, so we'll check back in on LeBron stuff uh, again when he makes his uh, announcement. But it's good to have you back on sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, bees and love.